I might watch a little bit of like the the first trailer I see, um, and then look at the release date, and then make the plans to go see it without doing any research or learning anything else besides who's directing it mm-hmm. and like what studio is producing it. Yeah, uh, like mm-hmm. with with these sorts of movies, I try to learn as little as I can, other than yeah. like the who are the creative minds behind it because that's what I want my expectation to be based on. I don't want to base my expectation on like genre or, or content or premise. I, I want to build my expectations based on like who is making it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's how I go in with like a, a studio Ghibli movie is like, Oh, it's studio Ghibli. Okay. I, I'm, I'm just going yeah. to watch it. Yeah. 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 I, tr- I try to form my, um, opinions of the movie as i'm watching it and figure out what the movie is as i go rather yeah. than go in thinking like okay this is a drama this is an action movie this is a yeah comedy. yeah because if if you go in unbound to those like pre-established concepts um it's a lot easier to just kind of take what a movie throws at you um, yeah like anytime yeah, i watch a mamaru hosoda movie that's how i do it anytime i watch a ghibli movie that's how i do it um, basically with just like anime movies like if it's a Japanese movie um, I'll, I'll go into it uh, just kind of like turning expectations off altogether and just forming the opinion as I go yeah yeah that makes sense because it makes it way easier to just take a movie as it is if you're not expecting anything from it oh yeah 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 there's no preconceived notions or or yeah like you were talking about no oh i thought it was going to be this or i thought it was going to go this way or that way and then if it doesn't go that way sometimes you may be left disappointed so not having that definitely helps yeah exactly that's one of the reasons i think people get so disappointed with um a lot of like modern blockbusters and such is uh, because they go and think like this is going to be the biggest thing ever and then when it's not like the biggest thing ever when it's not like actively world changing they're like that movie sucked it was the worst thing ever yeah it it ultimately comes down to like it's a little bit of their fault but I also I'll blame corporation and marketing so I'm like you see it everywhere even if you're not yeah but it's marketing's job to hype it up it is, but I mean, like, it's it's nearly impossible for someone to not have a preconceived notion or hype for a blockbuster. It's yeah. at least in a subconscious level. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, yeah, I, like I get excited for certain blockbusters myself, but like again, I I go in like with expectations turned off and i i try to do that with every movie i can i possibly can yeah Uh, yeah because again it's like it's harder to actually be disappointed in a movie and way easier to just accept what it is on its own terms if you're not expecting anything from it yeah but with most people what they saw in the thousands of trailers that have been pushed in their face, even if they're not searching for those trailers or those yeah. posters or whatever it may be, they saw an image or they saw that scene in the trailer and they're expecting the movie to be like that or, or follow that type of tone or whatever it may be. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think like when marketing misinterprets a movie, that's that's a bad thing. Yeah, I A twenty four doesn't do the best on marketing their trade. They do good on like, hey, everyone, come watch this movie. Like that's the problem is they say, hey, everyone, come oh, watch this movie in the trailer. Yeah. But it's like, no, 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 no. One, everyone is not coming to watch this movie. But if you do have that, you're going to have a bunch of people mad because it wasn't this or it wasn't that. Like the the biggest things for me, like uh, the Green Knight is the biggest one for me. The trailer makes it out like it's going to be like this, this action epic uh fantasy adventure um which it's not it is like a fantasy adventure but it's very much real like it feels very real of what an adventure would actually be um you see for me i i feel like i got i got very lucky with green knights marketing i think i've talked about this before but i never saw any of those trailers that made it look like a big like action movie um i only ever saw one uh, video that was like five minutes long doing um, a breakdown of the historical and mythological references yeah, yeah. that built up the movie. Yeah. So it's like, I like, and that one video very much conditioned my mind to think, I still haven't actually seen the movie, but uh, it's super cheap at Walmart. So I might just pick it up next time I'm in there. Yeah. But, um, uh, but yeah, like that one video I saw conditioned me to think like, okay, so this is like a well-researched um, interpretation of, excuse me, of that the old story of Gawain and the Green Knight. Yeah, yeah. And now thinking so, yeah, about it, I, I got lucky with the Green Knight's marketing. Yeah, now thinking about it, A24 is 50-50 on their marketing of like what the movie actually is. Like again, when they're doing their trailers, they're saying, hey, everyone come see this. Um and with the Green Knight, that's not the case. Not This isn't for everyone, but you marketed it as it was. And then everyone came and saw it, and half the people hated it because they expected something else. That, yeah. that was your fault, A24. Um, and then uh, uh, the recent movie, Men, I'm, I'm not going to talk about much because ultimately I thought it had some very creepy horror imagery, but... I didn't like the movie. It's not bad, but eh. um, but its marketing was different. Um, the only the the one recently where I'm like, okay, A24 did good with the marketing was everything, everywhere, all at once, because that trailer and whatever they put out showed very clearly what the movie is going to be like without like showing all of the movie. Because as you watch the movie, like it's multiverse stuff. So, you know, it's going to get a little bit crazy and stuff, but they don't show a lot of the craziness in the trailer. They show some, so you get a little tease of it, but the movie goes pretty crazy. Um, and I think that's an example recently of them doing their marketing and trailer stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't mean to cut this part short, but, We got some some ground to cover today. Yeah. So, um, speaking of not having any expectations for anything, so it doesn't disappoint you. Welcome to Storeman Comics, everybody. I'm Tio, and I'm Brandon. 
<laughs> um, and today we're finally wrapping up uh, the uh, the epic trilogy of um, of Marvel Year Three miniseries outlines. Yay! Yes. <laughs> So that we don't have to talk about any of these in depth over the course of the next year of Marvel stuff we're doing, and we don't, we we can just casually reference it and say this this thing is a thing that happens in the world, yeah, um, yeah. and can be applied to other things. Uh, so today it's Mister Sinister and Jessica Jones. Yes. Um, now I'm thinking of just saying our Mister Sinister, uh, uh, um miniseries should just be called Sinister but at the same time though that's a hmm let me think it's like what the heck I thought I was reading a comic about that Ethan Hawke horror movie see that's exactly it too that's exactly it is when when titling stuff like that maybe we could uh call it like the Sinister Mr. Essex or something like that since you know or I don't know something that isn't just Mr. Sinister yeah Um, Mr. Sinister the Sinistering yeah yeah yeah, it's I I loved it when Mr. Sinister showed up on screen and said his iconic catchphrase, "It's time to get sinister." <laughs> it's sinistering time. Yeah, just just like when just like when Morbius shows up and says his iconic catchphrase, "It's Morbin time." <laughs> that gave me chills when I saw it. It's Morbin time. Uh, I'm so glad they didn't give that away in the trailers. No wonder that movie made fourteen trillion dollars at the box office. <laughs> it's Morbin time. Whew. Anyway, um, oh, so okay. Um, you know what? Like, I'm releasing this as like a three day event. I don't need to explain anything to you people. So we're just gonna jump right yeah, into yeah. it. <laughs> Likely, if you're listening to this, you heard at least one of the other ones. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, I got a, um, oh, this is, uh, I got, so I basically got to get all this out over the next three days after recording it. Oh, geez. That's going to be some uh, a fun time editing. Wait, does it have to come out this weekend? I, I guess I can put it out next weekend. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. It's just the thing is, um, the oldest unedited recording in the timeline now is our first one of these. Oh, I gotcha. Which is a month old now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like with these, it's it's like timeless because because we haven't really like done any other year three stuff. So, like, as long as we put it out before we do any other year three stuff, we're good. Just like the best stories, it's timeless. <laughs> It's a timeless tale. It's always relevant. All right. So, would you like to start with Mister Sinister or Jessica Jones today? Um. Uh, we can do Jessica Jones. The thing is, like, I'm not sure how long the pitch will actually be. Like, I have like a a basic or like like very basic idea i'm not sure how far it will go like it will cover like a a mini series but i don't know how much detail can actually be done all right give me give me your uh 
give me your basic idea then, and I will see if I have any notes or additions uh, okay. once you run through it. Because I genuinely have no ideas for Jessica Jones. Well, my idea was, uh, I guess I'll do tiny, tiny little backstory for you, listener. I'm sorry, but I'll, I'll give you a little tiny bit. Um, Just at the end of Ant-Man, or not the end, at the beginning of Ant-Man versus uh, uh, Heroes for Hire, Heroes for Hire, Jessica outsourced this to... Um, outsource the thing for heroes for hire i'm not going to go into detail for that you can listen to that the reason i say all that is the reason she did that was because she was busy focused on this one case that involves the purple man and we didn't entirely say it in that but this could basically be like what she was doing or what she is currently doing um with that case because we already talked about um she has already had that history with the purple man and she was an alcoholic, but she's now like out of that. Like she's, she's doing better. I mean, that trauma is still there, Yeah. but it's not the, the always drunk Jessica Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Jessica we're going for at this point is someone who, um, has gotten past the trauma as best as she can, but yeah. um, but this this case obviously is going to pull a lot of that back. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, like so the, the it's basically um an extended metaphor for um uh for for moving moving past traumas basically that's that's all jessica jones ever really was anyway yeah yeah like her being introduced that was the crux of the story yeah um but but yeah essentially this mini series would follow this purple man case that she is working on and obviously by the end she she uh concludes it whether it's beating the purple man or whatever it may be. Um, and not saying she like gets past her trauma. Um, that's always going to be there, but it was like one extra thing to kind of help, even though a lot of this trauma is going to be like drudged back up in this. And she's going to have some low moments within this. Um, by the end, she comes out on top. Yeah. And, and the thing about it, is um like one important takeaway from i think jessica jones as a character is there are two because you know you know scars are scars they're always there whether they're physical or psychological and so for jessica it all comes down to um whether or not uh her experiences are going to define her or if uh like they're just going to be one part of her yeah yeah because that that, those are kind of like the two the two paths to take i guess in reality as well it's like will will your traumas define who you are which i don't think is the healthy route or uh will they or, or or will they just be one piece of your experiences 
um, that you have in your life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was thinking, um, I don't know if we ever touched on this bit. Um, we shouldn't be touching too many bits. <laughs> that's that's uh, for a different podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, before she met Purple Man, um, I, because in our universe, like, superheroes are, like, freshly new. Like, yeah. like it's freshly new so she wasn't like jewel before she met no. like, like what, what what it could be you could do she was jewel but it's like she's only been doing this for like a day or two like that could have been her first mission was yeah. like taking on purple man and then it just went horribly wrong yeah because she didn't really anticipate you know because that that also that also works with uh uh the world not knowing about this superhero or or uh uh this superhero being a thing before is like yeah no one knew about her or heard about her because this was like her first day doing yeah it. yeah yeah it was like the first thing she tried to do and it obviously went completely wrong yeah because as it turns out um being a superhero in the real world uh probably wouldn't be like the comic books yeah i mean like especially when you have a villain who can just tell you what to do yeah like it would be like uh in the real world it would be like kick ass but if he didn't actually beat up those guys it's it's very close to that where he's getting his butt kicked like crazy but like likely do what I I think the comic books are more like that, where like, where where Kickass doesn't actually beat up the bad guys. Okay, okay. I I haven't ever read like that part in the comic. I, I was just thinking the movie. So if the comic is like that, where it's like, yeah, he goes up against those those two or three guys and gets the crap beat out of him and doesn't beat them up, then that's likely what it would be in real life. Yeah, because I know I know the Kickass comics do escalate, and I I believe he does become like a more like actual superhero type of guy. Like yeah, more yeah, a vigilante. But like early on, as far as I remember, um, I I believe like he he gets kicked around a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it's either him or I'm thinking of another comic. I don't remember, but it's like a superhero's like first day doing his thing and he like fights a bad guy or a couple of bad guys and like he gets stabbed and like he doesn't die but it's like he nearly died like first day i want to say that sounds a lot like batman year one i feel like that happened in batman okay maybe it is i think that happened in year one a lot of this stuff bleeds over in my head. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's hard to keep it all straight after a while. Yeah. All right, but Jessica. Actually, Jones. as it turns out, in the original uh, Amazing Fantasy number fifteen, uh, Spider-Man got freaking stabbed in the knee, and uh... 
he he had a limp for the rest of the issue. He wasn't supposed to be able to recover, but they they introduced the idea that he heals faster then, so you know <laughs> so he could keep walking, make keep him more child friendly. Yeah, yeah. no Sp- Spider Man got like he got like shot through the cheek in his uh <laughs> his first appearance. Oh no, but but. Because this who's, was during who's the gonna time challenge, of... Who's going to challenge me on that? Who's actually read Amazing Fantasy? <laughs> because... I could, I could just tell someone, yeah, Spider-Man got like, shot in the face in his first appearance. And no yeah. one's going to call me on that. No one's read That's that. The thing. Yeah, like, even if no one has read it, they could possibly call you on it if they knew of the times, oh, as yeah. well as, like, Marvel at the time. But if it's like, yeah, if you say that to anyone, they'll be like, whoa, really? But yeah, it's like... During that time, uh, with Comics Code being at like the height during that time, uh, <laughs> it would pretty much be like you would have to censor it so much. Like, let's say he got stabbed in the knee. It would be yeah. like uh, someone hit him with a baton on the knee and there was no blood. I, th- and... I thought Comics Code was more at its height. No, 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 you're, you're right, you're right. That would be, like, when the comics code was the most ridiculous, because that's the reason superhero yeah. comics became, like, so dominant anyway, is because they were they yeah, yeah. nice with the comics code. Yeah, because comics code came around in, like, the early 50s. Um, but, but the height of, like, how ridiculous it got, because the early 50s, again, I've talked about this before, there was a good point with doing the comics code, but it got way too restrictive, like extremely restrictive. I do get where they were starting from, but it got extremely restrictive to the point where, yeah, in, in the sixties, it's just like, everything's restricted. Yeah. Cause I know, I know that the sixties and seventies were pretty crazy with it. And then they like around the late seventies, early eighties, I think they started to notice like, Hey, there aren't any consequences for not following this thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are they going to do? Get us? Yeah. <laughs> that would be hilarious that this this thing, this this organization over censorship, and it's like censoring violence and all this stuff, if they would like show up at your house and like <laughs> they're like they're like throwing throwing Molotov cocktails in your house, they're like sh- like sh- drive by shooting. It's like <laughs> the heck i thought these guys were like <laughs> against this type of stuff we children shouldn't have access to content like that you just filled my child full of bullet holes <laughs> what the heck i'm upset partially at the dead child but mostly at the hypocrisy of it <laughs> So, all right. So, yeah, Jessica Jones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot of complexity we can add to this. I think um, a lot of what might cause some issues with us dealing with Jessica Jones is it's is a lot of what makes Jessica Jones what it is as, like, a series. Um, if we want to stay true to that, sits right on the other side of the line i think of where we're comfortable with this podcast yeah yeah 
Um, cause there's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of themes and things like that with Jessica Jones, um, where it's like, that's not, um, super comfortable for us. Yeah. Yeah. To discuss. Yeah. Cause, cause ultimately this is like an outline and I, I basically gave, uh, 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 it's broad, but like fairly decent outline of what it'll be like. <clears throat> it could, if the tiniest bit of expansion, um, the case that comes up is it could be like uh, uh, someone, um, someone hired her because their daughter. Oh, there you go. Their daughter, uh, daughter or or wife or like ex-wife or whatever you want to say. Um, has been like hanging around this guy a lot and yeah. like eventually it's purple man yeah. but like um he's been hanging around this purple dude or or okay so so we'll do daughter it's it's like a, a husband and wife they they hire jessica jones to like figure out where their daughter is there we go figure out where their daughter is um they ooh, right, okay hang on, hang on hold 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 that thought for just a second okay okay i thought i could hear something coming through from your end oh okay but i guess not oh, okay i gotcha if you hear it again let me know okay um but have have this this couple hire Jessica Jones to find the daughter and maybe they're like we we've heard some stuff like we've got a postcard here and there but that's about it and like uh maybe it, they're saying like it feels very culty like she's like a part of a cult or something because that I mean not saying Purple Man will have, like, a bunch of people under his control, but, like, that makes sense for Purple Man to, like, have a cult. Yeah. Like, Yeah, you know, I, I think, yeah, maybe reflavoring him as, like, a cult leader would be the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, like, the, the early days um, when Jessica Jones was, like, hit with that, like, mind control, basically, um, during that time, he wasn't really doing like a cult thing like he had control over like jessica and maybe one or two other people and then he'd, he'd use his powers here and there like going down the street like hey you want to give me that uh, hot dog vendor you want to give me that hot dog for free it's like okay yeah like, sure that type of stuff <laughs> yeah sure here, here you dog. go here you go purple weirdo <laughs> but uh but yeah, like like All it's right. been. I, I I do have one more question, like concerning the purple man, real quick. Yeah, yeah. Is our purple man actually purple? I was thinking, like, maybe, like, like the, the reason I say that is, like, like, we don't have to do this, but it could easily just be like people that are around him within his radius, like either don't see it or don't care about it because of that, that manipulation. Also, it is in New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got all kinds of, uh, a, a literally purple man probably isn't the weirdest thing. Any of them are going to see that day. 
Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things, like, if someone walks by him on the street, and they're like, what the heck? That's a purple dude. Like, since they're within his radius, like, he's just, like, does a little mind whammy, and they're like, oh, yeah, just normal guy. Yeah, they're going to be like, what the heck? That's a purple dude. He's going to be like, no, I'm not. You're purple. And they're going to be like, I'm purple? Oh, my gosh, I'm purple. And the rest of their life, they just believe they're purple. <laughs> they, start, they start a support group called Purple People Anonymous. <laughs> they're the only one who shows up every week. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you have uh, that, that couple hire her, find daughter, She's part of this this cult or whatever. And, and Jessica, like, hearing some of this stuff, like, like the, the couple, they go in depth about it because it's like, oh, a cult. But they go in depth and, like, Jessica, it kind of sparks that thing of, like, this sounds like the Purple Man. Yeah. Um, and so that's what got her to take on the case. And then you have her going into this, like, like um, trying to find her as well as like prep for the situation slash scenario. Um, uh, you could have not saying you do all of this, but some like darkness, a little bit of horror. It's Jessica Jones. So there's going to be some dark moments in it, yeah. but uh, as well as like darkness and horror, because like she's walking in on like this cult basically, and you can yeah. have some creepy dark stuff go on with cults. Um, I think an interesting sequence um, to kind of uh, um, show like another side of uh, like the life that Jessica has been living is because mm-hmm. she is she is a superhuman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has she possesses super strength and durability. Um, yeah. So one interesting thing is like if. Uh, the purple man is trying to get her off his back. He could, you know, order his his quote unquote followers to like try to beat her up, or at least just like distract her. Yeah, yeah. Like, he could have a sequence of like people trying to beat her with baseball bats and like literally like denting the bats against her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. While she is while she is doing what she can, she's an irritable person. Um, yeah, yeah. So she's like doing what she can not to just punch someone's jaw out of their head. Yeah, yeah. Thus, she's pulling her punches, or she's just like picking them up, picking them up by the the back of their collar, and like throwing them lightly to the side, that sort of stuff. Yeah. That would I feel like that would be an interesting way to show like how her power affects her work, but also generally like how she has to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And like how how it works with like just her general personality and demeanor, because like I said, the the way she is presented early on in the comics, as far as I know, and all the way through her show, as far as I remember, is uh, she's just a very like irritable person. Yeah, yeah, and like like with all these people, um, she's going to definitely be pulling her punches while doing it. But but it's one of those things, like you said, with her character she's pretty irritable so like she gets annoyed enough or irritated enough at some point and she accidentally not like a full-on punch like <laughs> like oh my God, badly damaging someone but like she she 
it's it's almost not comedic effect but light light-hearted kind of she like punches someone she's like oh crap like i <laughs> like she she kind of like got a little bit agitated and like yeah. she didn't pull her punch all the way and it, like completely knocked the guy out or whatever she's like oh crap because <laughs> because ultimately she she's trying to pull the punches because one they're humans and she's not like trying to kill them but as well as like she knows they're all mind controlled yeah Could be one of those things where, like, she slaps a couple of them over the head to knock them out. One of my, one of my favorite, like, just shots from an episode of Luke Cage, is just one bit where a guy is like, try, like, pulling a gun on Luke. So Luke just takes the gun away from him and smacks him over the head, and the dude falls over. <laughs> like, not even a closed fist. He just yeah, opens yeah. his hand, smacks the dude over the head, and the guy falls unconscious. That's great. I love that. And it's not even like a hard smack either. It's just a little, just like kind of a, like a slap. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just to show how strong Luke is. Yeah. So like maybe but Jessica yeah. could like do some of that. Like she's just smacking people over the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, with this, again, you have the the introduction of parents hiring her. You have her doing investigative work as well as like her preparing herself like mentally for this. Like, like, because the trauma is still there, um, and she knows she'll have to encounter Purple Man at some point. Um, uh, preparing herself mentally for this, as well as doing like PI work, like like investigating and stuff, investigating into this cult and stuff, because they're kind of like, like a lot of cults, moving from place to place. Like they're not entirely staying in one place at once. Yeah. Um, and, and so she's trying to figure out where they are, that sort of stuff. And then you also get the the dark horror elements of like her finally walking into the cult or the 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 compound, like the the campground or wherever they're at. And like and they're seeing... trying to summon Cthulhu, <laughs> but but seeing like some like dark and creepy stuff, whether it's stuff that some of the people are doing or or just like cult stuff is creepy in itself like seeing how they're acting with purple man and stuff and then eventually that encounter you have uh that fight quote-unquote fight with the people it's really like jessica jones like it's like a, a person trying to like if they were beating up kindergartners like like <laughs> the, like the, that like, scene of brothers <laughs> yeah well well that was different those kids were like uh, early middle school, late middle school. Oh, yeah, um, you're right. I'm talking about like kindergartners where it's like, yeah, an average person could probably take on like at least 10 of them without yeah. much of a problem. Um, yes, I've, <laughs> I've factored, I've done the math on how many kindergartners I can take on. <laughs> you can only take on 10. I, I could probably take on more. I'm saying the average. Person. I could probably beat up twenty kindergartners at once. I feel like, yeah, yeah, like if if it's no no restrictions or anything, like yeah, I could take on twenty. I'm like, saying the average person though. With with like little little kindergartner weapons too. Give them all their own little baseball bats. <laughs> 
give give them all you know things things to beat on me with. I'll 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 kick them around. I'll, I won't even have to use my hands. <laughs> but yeah, like the, I say all that just to like an analogy of what Jessica is doing with these people. Like, like it, it's it's a lot, but with her ability, it's like. It's not really much. It's more of like they're a distraction or they're trying to keep her away from Purple Man. Like Purple Man is using them to like distract Jessica so he can like get away or, or do whatever he's trying to do. Um, and Jessica's just trying to break through them to get to him. And when she inevitably finds him again or catches up to him or whichever happens, the way she defeats him is by giving him the ultimate, because she's got super strength, mm-hmm. the ultimate purple nurple. <laughs> Just rips so, his until, until his nipple becomes double purple. <laughs> he had yeah, just rips the nipple off. Yeah, you just have him uh, uh, going into prison, like the super, super villain prison, and he has like the the orange jumpsuit on but like his nipples are like poking through it like three inches because <laughs> it was just the <laughs> ultimate purple nipple i was i was thinking that like he's got the jumpsuit the, like the orange jumpsuit on but he's got like what look like bloody breast milk stains on it because of the constant <laughs> bleeding from his nipple holes now yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> the gaps where his nipples used to be. You want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I don't know that I have a whole lot more in terms of like details that I could add on to this. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You you have her uh, uh, finally take him on and yeah, there, there's like some stuff where like trauma gets brought up here and there but like she's fighting through it going through it and eventually conquers it in the sense that like trauma will always be there but she conquers this trauma uh beats purple man he gets taken to super villain prison and uh she she uh brings the daughter that that's the the epilogue or like the last stuff you have she brings the daughter back to the family they all have a good reunion and stuff and and jessica oh jessica like gives the daughter um a card or whatever like like her card or whatever it may be and be like if you need anything like if you need to talk at any point call me i've been exactly where you have been before yeah i i I can help you through this. Don't do the stuff that I did in trying to, to uh, tackle this trauma. You need to talk to someone I can talk. And, and that's basically where it ends there. I think that's a good one. Yeah. That's definitely one of those ones where, um, uh, if we were, you know, if we were actually the editors in chief at Marvel, 
uh, we obviously would need to get a writer who we think could handle the subject matter uh, yeah, appropriately yeah. and sensitively. Yeah. Take another sip of Pepsi real quick. Because <sighs> that's what I have today. I think I need to run to the store and get some more soda. I'm almost out. Uh, nice. Anyway. So, Mr. Sinister. Now, for this one, my brain's doing the opposite of what it just did with Jessica Jones. Like I, like I was head empty, just mostly trying to listen to you talk uh, for Jessica Jones. I had no ideas of my own for that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so I'm, I'm quite happy and grateful that you had a solid idea. <laughs> yeah, and and this actually works for Mister Sinister because it's now uh, flopping or like flipping over here where I'm assuming you have an idea and I have nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got some ideas for this one. And this okay. one is actually going to tie itself. So my ideas for this one, because I'm such a lore nerd and my brain is always thinking on like the large scale, like how does this apply to the shared universe type thing? Um, mm -hmm. All of my Mr. Sinister ideas directly relate to um, the X-Men and the Avengers. Um, more the X-Men than the Avengers, uh, just because of the nature of the character. But, yeah. Um, but, like, I'm thinking, like, yeah, this, this Sinister miniseries would tie in to, like, a shared arc between, like, X-Men, Brotherhood, and Avengers at the end of the year. Um, which, uh, we'll have to, ooh, we gotta work out how we're gonna do that, by the way. Uh, we'll talk about that later at the end of the episode because I get the feeling we're going to have some extra time this week. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, given, given the fact that um, yeah, I, I just think that our two pitches this week are going to end up being shorter altogether. Yeah, we're, we're breezing through. Yeah, we are. Yeah, like the, the previous one didn't even take up a full hour-long recording segment. Yeah, it was like maybe 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, yeah, it was it was half the recording, half the previous recording segment, um, like, if that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, we're, we're breezing through these. Anyway, so, Mr. Sinister was born in uh, Victorian England, uh, London specifically. Mm-hmm. As Nathaniel Essex. And I want to keep that intact. I want to keep, like, his long life intact. Okay. And also the fact that uh, he um, became a biologist um, in like the 1850s and knew Charles Darwin because that's going to be important to his character. Okay. Um, there, there's a lot about Sinister's like general backstory that I want to keep intact. But yeah, he came from like a wealthy family. He went to like Oxford, became a biologist. Uh, he was a contemporary of Charles Darwin. And upon learning of Darwin's uh, initial theories of evolution, um, Essex became obsessed with the concept. Okay. Uh, and, like, started throwing himself into it entirely. And uh, this is where we introduced the idea that, like, uh, Essex believes in science uh, without the constraints of like morality to hold it back. Um, 
which isn't to say he goes out of his way to be cruel in his scientific endeavors. However, he doesn't see cruelty as out of place in science. Yeah, yeah. Um, now he believes that cruelty should have reason if you are if you have to do it for science. But uh, like he's not he's not just going to go pull the legs off a spider and leave it there. Yeah, not unless he has specific notes he's trying to take from the experience. Right, right. I gotcha. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of person that Essex is. It's like he will be cruel, but only if he can learn from it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, or if it benefits him in some way. Like he's never going to do it without a reason. Yeah, I gotcha. Now, whether or not those reasons are actually justified is a different discussion entirely. But... Yeah, yeah. So, um, I. Now, my, my general idea, I'm going to discuss this as chronologically as I can, but my okay. idea is that um, the story takes place across three different time periods. Um, the beginning, his origin story, which is in like the 1800s, um, like, like mid-1800s. Like mid um, yeah. The middle, which would take place um, probably post-World War II, um, and then the end, which is the present, um, would be basically the prelude to uh, uh, basically like Cyclops awakening as a mutant. Because I want to, I want to have like Sinister involved with that somehow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, given the fact that, like, you know, actual Mister Sinister in the real comics, the canon comics, is obsessed with Cyclops and his DNA. Okay. Uh, uh, I I want to like keep that intact for him, and since um, some of the ideas that we've had concerning what the end of the year looks like for the X Men involves Cyclops quite a bit, um, I think it's only appropriate that like Mister Sinister's introduction here has a connection to that. Yeah, like there, yeah. there's a reason we're doing a Mister Sinister miniseries here in year three. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, but now I'm going to try and discuss it, like, in chronological order. So, Sinister is, uh, basically kind of has decided that he is going to kind of take Darwin's pursuit of, of, um, studying evolution onto himself as well, but he's taking it in a very different direction, obviously, um, to the point that he's actively trying to manipulate it in some ways. Yeah. Um, and so uh uh eventually I think um Essex's uh studies will um lead him to old legends uh that originate from ancient Egypt. About, about um like this ancient entity known as En Sabanur, which is the first one which yeah. was Apocalypse's name. Um, now, unlike the canon comics, though, I don't think we're going to have Sinister meet Apocalypse as a part of his backstory. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think so. we're going to keep Apocalypse a mystery for a while. Yeah. Because um, we're still... We got to take this one at a time. We're still working on, like, Galactus stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
And like after Galactus, maybe Apocalypse. But then again, there's also Thanos and there's also Kang the Conqueror and Doctor Doom. Why does Marvel have so many like everyone's villains type characters? <laughs> like why are so many of Marvel's villains just general universe villains? Because we've had over 60 years of this and <laughs> like at least every few years or so like you can't just have the same big villain <laughs> we have to have more and more big villains yeah yeah i guess you're right that's a good point but it's like like dr doom like right he started as a fantastic four villain but now he's just a marvel villain you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah. Galactus is the same way. I started as a Fantastic Four villain, but now he's just general Marvel villain. Well, it's and... also one of those things where, like, uh, you kind of don't want to do a reverse of this. Like, when you introduce that villain, it's a big, bad villain. But when you, like, they did this with Court of Owls. Court of Owls was a big, bad villain for Batman. But after the Scott Snyder stuff, like, they got diluted. And now, like, the, the most random character in Gotham beats up on the court of owls like yeah. daily. Um, yeah. they don't <laughs> daily. Do that. <laughs> I mean, spoiler, yeah, likely. Cause there's just, one, there's hundreds of owls. from the court. She didn't like, and now she bullies him every day, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but like they, they don't want to do that. Cause that happens with a lot of villains and stuff. So they're like, okay, to keep them relevant, um, as well as like just show like, hey, this villain is getting bigger and more powerful. We'll just have them yeah. get bigger and more powerful, and eventually they're the universe villain. Yeah, true. Yeah, and sometimes you know that can be satisfying with characters like Thanos and Doctor Doom and Galactus. Um, but at the same time, though, there are some times where you see characters that that happens to, like Norman Osborn. And sure, it makes sense overall, but at the same time, you're looking at it and thinking, like, how did he get here? Yeah, yeah. You compare him to the ones you just listed, and it's like, wait a second. (laughs) Because Norman Osborn's, like, focus um, typically is quite, like, singular. He's he's usually focused pretty heavily on Spider-Man. Even in events that revolve around him, he's very obsessed with Spider-Man in particular, to the point that, like, to me... I found it weird that the siege event, which is about a villain, like a human villain laying siege on Asgard, um, featured Norman Osborn as the main antagonist. Huh. Yeah, from what I I see... I still don't 100% understand Norman's motivation for invading Asgard. Yeah. From what I've seen other than that, of uh of marvel comics if you're a superhero and like you're you're going to run into these big villains because they face everyone but if you're a super a superhero who doesn't want to run into norman osborne uh don't associate yourself at all with spider-man and you should be good any of the spider-men yeah yeah Now, even even if you don't associate yourself with Spider-Man, there's still a chance you could see Rhino or Sandman or Electro on the street. They're no, not yeah. a big deal. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to avoid Norman Osborn, don't go anywhere near Spider-Man. That's the thing is like some of them have like the the 
deadlier or, or more challenging uh, uh, abilities or whatever it may be. But like one of the, the deadliest things in comics is the smart guy who can plan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you don't yeah, want to... like Nor- Norman Osborn, especially in like the late 2000s, early 2010s was kind of being retooled and very much this was very much like Brian Bendis is doing at the time too, was kind of being retooled as something of a Lex Luthor type villain. Yeah, I can see that. We've gotten off topic. (laughs) Mr. Sinister. Mr. Sinister. Who's another character who I think has potential to be a a universe wide Marvel villain. But I liked the fact that they, they've kept him primarily just focused on the X-Men. Yeah, yeah. Because because uh, Mr. Sinister is like his focus is like so singularly obsessive, like concerning Cyclops and Jean Grey. I feel like Jean Grey to a lesser extent than Cyclops. I feel like he cares a little more about Cyclops than Jean. Oh, okay. But um, I mean, he still has a weird thing for Jean too. But like, it's all down like it, it's it's all down to, like you know their genes, their genetics, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, all right. So yeah, Mister Sinister, Essex, Nathaniel Essex, uh, Nate. We could call him for short. We won't. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, he through his like studies of stuff, like he's trying to uh, study evolution. He ends up coming across some things that, like, maybe he shouldn't have. Ooh, okay. Uh, ooh. Oh. Oh! I've got something here. Okay. Um, he was the first man to find, I believe it was called Monster Island. And, and this isn't from the comics. This is This is an idea I just came up with now. Yeah, yeah. Monster Island being the island that Mole Man went to and fell in the hole. Oh, okay. Because a lot of Mr. Sinister's stuff through Apocalypse is tied to the Celestials. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because, like, and because Mr. Sinister's quest involves, like, finding the root of evolution like why as humanity develops the way it has and why are we developing superpowers now um all of that has its roots in the celestials okay because the celestials created the eternals and the deviants um and overall like their presence on earth is the reasons that humans have the capacity for like superpowers anyway yeah Um, yeah it's the reason that when the Kree came to Earth um, in the canon Marvel timeline, um, they were able to manipulate the genetics of humans to such an extent that it could create inhumans generations down the line. Oh, okay. Um, as well as humans generally just evolving into mutants. Um, on top of the fact that, like, you know, between Captain America and the Hulk and Spider-Man, like, we seem to be... In, in Marvel's world, anyway, we seem to be rather receptive to, uh, um, like, once-in-a-lifetime events that create superpowers. Okay. Yeah. Events that should kill a living thing tend to just 
make us superheroes. <laughs> yeah. So and all that like comes back around to the celestials. But um so when yeah, when uh which one of those three uh timelines uh does he discover Monster Island? Uh the post World War Two. And here's okay. why. Because Mole Man's story starts in the fifties, right? Mm-hmm. So Essex goes to Monster Island and comes back and you know him like kind of talking about his adventures, no one believes him except for one guy. The mole man. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we, we could say that Essex was the root of the initial rumor that led Mole Man there in the first place. Yeah. Thus also kind of tying Essex into like the Fantastic Four storyline. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, now, I'm not trying to make too many like excessive connections, like extraneous ones, because uh, that has a tendency to make a world feel small when you do that. Um, well, small as well as like if it's too many and someone isn't reading all the titles, they're like, what is this? Who is that? Yeah. However, um, there are some connections that can be made, though, where it's like, even though it's technically a connection to another thing, it can be viewed as like, because it's like indirect, you could uh, justify it. Now, this is a direct connection. This is not indirect. Like Essex, his journey to the island had a direct effect on the Mole Man. Yeah, yeah. But like, let's say something like a a part of um, what encouraged Essex to like start doubling down on his pursuits maybe was uh, like the success of Captain America in World War Two. Yeah, yeah. The 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 first scientifically created superhuman. He could be like, oh dang, if we're just making them now, then like I gotta. <laughs> Like, I gotta figure out how that works. And, like, a part yeah. of that journey led him to uh, Monster Island, where he probably would have met Crow, the uh, um, deviant eternal who lives there, um, watching over the monsters and such. Um, now, I don't think Essex would have actually found the Dreaming Celestial down in the hole. Um, because that would probably have drawn him close to the Moloids, and he would have become the Mole Man instead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's that's important in, that he actually didn't go in the hole. That's in our our year four series. What if? What if Mister Sinister became the Mole Man? What if he became the Sinister Mole Man? <laughs> the Sinister Mole. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's important that that Mr. Sinister never actually entered the cave. Yeah. That that leads down into the earth. He just kind of went there for study. He probably found some weird technology somewhere and called it called it a day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh... Um, Alright, so... And that's in, okay, so that's going to be in, like, late 40s. Late 40s right there. Um, but, uh, 
We still haven't. Okay. Let me think. Let me think. So in the early 1800s. So in the comic books, he got married. He was married to a woman named Rebecca. Okay. And um, because of how far he had let himself like fall, um, like morally, uh, um, like in the in the pursuit of like science and and like serving apocalypse and all that, yeah. Um, his wife, uh, as as she was dying, um, due to uh. Uh, childbirth in which the child also died um sinister asks her for forgiveness while this is happening and her dying words are when she she refuses to forgive him and her dying words are to me you are utterly and contemptibly sinister Uh, and that's that's where he takes the name mr sinister i gotcha um, do we want to? Because, like, a, a part of what caused um, this child's death uh, was, um, let's see here. Rebecca went into premature labor, which caused the child to die in stillbirth. Um, and uh, a part of what okay okay i'm remembering now this is another piece of stuff that i think we should keep intact actually because in the comics he has a pretty good motivation for becoming so obsessed with genetics um his reason is that his first child with rebecca um died suddenly because of a genetic disorder um so because his first son died due to a genetic disorder Sinister was like, well, then I should study genetics to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like, this leads to a bunch of stuff. I think eventually he did dig up his own child's corpse to study it. Um, <laughs> that's uh, so that's that's pretty gruesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he... See, he it was it was after like reburying that child that Rebecca went into premature labor with her second one, and you know died as a result. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that's something that should stay intact, just to like show in within like the eighteen hundreds how far Sinister had fallen um, to his 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 goals. Um, and that, like, he had completely lost sight of his reasons for doing what he was doing in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I think all that should stay intact. But yeah, so the, then then you reach the 40s, he goes to Monster Island, and he goes there alone. Oh, he didn't even take renowned adventurer and monster slayer Ulysses Bloodstone with him, <laughs> like the Mole Man did. Um, but yeah, so he, he went alone. Um, he comes back. Rumors start spreading of a monster island at, that you know leads Mole Man there eventually, but that's covered in the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, and then uh, with the weird technology that Essex would have found on the island, um, I feel like that helps him like start making like leaps and bounds in his research into genetics. Yeah. 
to the point that he is successfully manipulating it because um i mean obviously he's already been manipulating his own genes if he's still alive in the 1940s yeah yeah um because that's already more than a century on for him Uh, (laughs) um but like now he can do it even better to the point that like he can gain full control over his own body right yeah um and uh and like he starts experimenting with like cloning because like hey maybe he's been alive long enough for some of his organs to start failing so he starts cloning organs for himself with the weird celestial technology he found and that can be how he keeps himself alive to start with yeah that makes sense and like and, and he basically just starts like changing out parts like a car every time one fails he clones himself a new one and replaces it and so you got a bit of a ship of theseus situation here where like physically but like genetically sure he's the same guy but like physically he's probably made up of entirely new parts yes yeah for him to to keep going and then eventually that leads into the present day where um okay hang on one last thing so I think, I think one thing that Sinister is doing is he's also seeking out people who are like, um, uh, g- like genetically likely to yield mutations, um, along the lines of like what he had been reading about with the Legends of Apocalypse and all that. Yeah. Um. And so he ends up coming across um, uh, a young man with, uh, it, it, it doesn't have to be like a specific person. We can just give him the last name Summers. Um, mm-hmm. but, but like this, this Summers guy, like he's going to study his DNA and finds that this guy himself probably won't manifest a mutation, but down the line, his family likely will. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and like Essex can do all this, you know, under the guise of like, you know, science and blood tests. He's like, I'm conducting research and all that. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he uses this as like, he just starts keeping track of this guy's family because uh, it's the first one to yield results like that. So then you reach the present day um, and like he's managed to trace this guy's like family lineage all the way up to Alaska where this dude's like great grandson or great, great grandson. I don't know how far down the line this ends up being um, (laughs) in terms of real world time. But, uh, but one of this guy's um, descendants um, is actually due to manifest a mutation. Like it's as if Essex learned how to time it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and he's like, all right, like it's it's far enough down the line. One of Summers' descendants is like due for a mutation. And lo and behold, Cyclops's first eye beams manifest. Okay, yeah. And that'll be like the ending of the Sinister uh, miniseries. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I like that. All right. Do you have any notes or questions? What do you think? I mean, you hit it chronologically because every time I was like thinking of something, you then like uh, 
like answered it with like the next thing you were going to say or afterwards. Um, so, some of this I did come up with in the moment. No, I mean, that's, that's what we do. That's like what I did with the Jessica Jones thing. Like the Jessica yeah, Jones yeah. thing, the only thing I had before that was uh, she is going after Purple Man. Like that's all I had before. Um, so yeah, like in the moment, this was pretty good. And yeah, I, I like that ending leading to uh, to Cyclops. All right, Brandon. If you don't give me plugs and recommendations right now, you will experience your first period. Oh, no. Oh, goodness. I really don't want that. Um, especially for me as a male. Um, I'm, it, I know it's, it's painful no matter what, but as a male, it, it's very much uh, uh, not normal. A narrower so, passage, isn't it? Yeah, very much is. Um, also, not like the same tunnel either. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, plugs. Disney Comics, that's D-I-S-N-A-Y Comics on Facebook and Instagram. Um, by the time you're listening to this, the Gallows Man 1 and 2 Kickstarter is done. As of recording this, there's still like uh, about six days left on the Kickstarter, and we've already raised $1,090. Um, I'm pretty good. And like, I'm excited about that because ultimately my biggest goal with this Kickstarter and any Kickstarter I do from now is to hit a thousand like once i hit that i'm like i, I mean like I, I breathe no matter what because we hit our our funding goal but my in-head goal is hit a thousand um and once we hit that i was just like ah like i i want it to keep going like keep making more and stuff but if it doesn't i'm completely okay with that that's basically how it works for me and anything um, less than that in the future will be a bitter disappointment. <laughs> but, but yeah, the thousand was always like in my head goal. And then once we hit a thousand, like my very last goal, which it looks like we're definitely going to hit, my very last goal is making more than the first Kickstarter, the Gallows Man issue one Kickstarter. Gallows Man issue one Kickstarter made 1,094. So, Five more dollars on this one, and I beat that one. And I'm almost certain within six days uh, that would happen. Actually, four dollars and one cent more. Ah, true. A deal of beat the goal. True, but Kickstarter only lets you do uh, by dollars. They don't oh, they don't money. let you do. They don't let you do a change. Of it. That makes sense. No. But you know, that honestly, that's probably smart. Yeah. But yeah, likely by your listening, by the time you're listening to this, you can go and check and see if I did beat that. But I'm almost certain I will, because that's literally like the digital issue two tier is five dollars or, or like the digital recommendations. Uh, I have two and I mentioned them some earlier in the episode. Uh First one is Love, Death, and Robots Season 3. If you haven't watched any of Love, Death, and Robots, watch all of it. Um, I would recommend, if you're new to it... Share it with your kids. Do what? Share it with your kids. 
<laughs> it's a cartoon. It's for children. There might be one or two episodes that you could possibly do that with. And I don't mean like yeah, little. Like, yeah, I absolutely do not share this with your children. That was a yeah. joke for anyone who can't tell. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't started it, uh, my recommendation would be to start in season two and go go from there. Season two is a good starting point because each it's an anthology show for no one that knows. Yeah, like and Netflix doesn't even arrange it in the same order for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like it really does not matter what order you watch any of it in. None, none of it is connected to the others except for like the two, three robots episodes. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah, only know no. there's a second one of those because I saw it as a trailer for the third season. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was the first episode that popped up for season three. Um, but yeah, I recommend if you start, start with season two. Uh, season one is good, but like the consistency really starts with season two. And, and from there, go from there. Like you can watch season two, and if you're into it, you can go back to season one, then watch season three, or, or however you want to do it. But I... In my opinion, if no one has started it, would recommend not starting in season one. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about season one is it's pretty good. Um, obviously, it was good enough to get the show more seasons. Yeah. But yeah, um, but yeah like it's, it's a lot more hit or miss than the later seasons are. This is one of those shows that just keeps improving. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason I, I, I say don't start in season one is like, you'll you'll watch some and you're like oh that was good but that one was a miss and then you're you have that idea of like oh this is going to be the show and maybe it could possibly turn you off from continuing yeah seasons um but yeah love death and robot season three really good the the guys that did that episode of the bounty hunter trying to kill the kid or whatever from season two uh to me hit it out of the park again with season three with an episode not this isn't spoiling it's just very basic it's takes place on like a ship like a like a pirate ship yeah um and most of it is like them out at sea uh i won't say more than that but it's it's really good i like it a lot um and then my last recommendation uh, I mentioned it before, Batman Unburied, the Spotify audio drama. Uh, really good. Or, or, or I would say at least pretty good, because I'm not an audio drama guy. But it's it's very entertaining. Um, listen, I, I'm not like spoiling anything or anything like that, but like keep listening past the first two episodes, which ultimately I love the first two. Episodes. I love all the episodes, but like keep going with it. Even if uh, you're not interested in it. Cause I, I, I liked it completely um, because like it felt like Hannibal, the TV show. It felt a lot like that because Bruce Wayne, he's, he's a forensic pathologist in this he is very much like will graham in uh hannibal the tv show where like he like empathizes with the killer or victims 
in this one, it, it's a little bit of both. He empathizes and like puts his puts himself in the the killer and victims uh, uh, perspective on trying to like figure out what exactly happened to them. Yeah. And but but with Will Graham and Hannibal, he just puts himself in the killer shoes. And yeah. as he's thinking all this out, he looks like a, a psycho around the other detectives and stuff. Oh, um, these are comfortable shoes. <laughs> but uh but yeah batman unburied you wear my size <laughs> batman unburied uh very good uh this isn't a spoiler at all but but batman dies in the first episode <laughs> no but, but like comes uh, back as a zombie hence batman unburied <laughs> like like the the kind of the main cast and it could always change. I still have four more episodes to watch or listen to. Kind of the main cast is uh, Bruce Wayne, Barbara Gordon, and the Riddler. And the Riddler's the Riddler's not the bad guy. The Riddler's like on their team. Interesting. And and it's not like one of those things where like he's never been a bad guy. No, no. It's like Riddler. How you know him in the comics? Like bad guy in Gotham. Okay, um, okay, so he's like Hannibal Lecter. Exactly, yeah. Barbara Gordon goes to him to, to try so to figure this, out this, more about... This sounds like this is just uh, just Hannibal. Yeah, somewhat. But, but like, she, she, uh, she breaks him out. That's not really a big spoiler. It's very minor. Um, and, and they all team up to, to try to go after the harvester or, or find out about the harvester. He's going after the stinky boy. Yeah, but it's really good. I'm looking forward to, to listening to some more of it, but that's my recommendations. The new hit Batman villain, the stinky boy. <laughs> oh, man. Someone farted in this elevator. Oh, no. It was the stinky boy. Batman, help. Is he had eggs for breakfast? <laughs> please. Oh gosh, Batman! He please. Hit the emergency stop on the elevator and won't get out of the way, so we can't oh, hit, it, hit it again to make us go. I finally got out of the elevator, but the smell—it's still lingering. It's—it's it's like it's on me. Help! It's Batman. like it burned itself into my nose and eyes and mouth. <laughs> All the three things that feel bad smells like that. My throat is burning. <laughs> how how do you develop gases in your intestines like that? This is so weird. Every time I like, kind of like taste my mouth, it tastes like the fart smell. I can't even close my mouth because now the fart cloud will be enclosed within, and it's all I'll taste. <laughs> I can taste it on my teeth and in my gums, on my lips. The stinky boy strikes again. <laughs> All right, okay, enough of that bit. Yeah. The, the stinky boy is dead. Batman punched him in the head and he died <laughs> of an aneurysm. Yes. Batman punched him in the head so hard he had a seizure on the spot. Anyway, 
plugs and recommendations for me. Plugs first. Uh, congratulations. You found us. This is the only plug. Stormbearing Comics. You're already listening. Congra- I did that in a different order than usual. And now I'm totally thrown off. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this is just a hobby podcast that me and Brandon do every week. So it means a lot that anyone would listen to it. Um, and thank you for listening through these three episodes in particular. Um, there's like a month between the start of us recording these three episodes and this one. Yeah. So, uh, thank you for listening. And, um, let's see here. What else was I going to say? Right. Uh, so as far as our schedule, we don't really have like set days, uh, that we upload. We focus uploads on the weekends between Friday and Monday. So if you want to keep track of us, I recommend uh, hitting whatever subscribe or follow button is on your podcast app of choice so that you can be notified when we upload new episodes. Um, now, this episode is the third of like a three episode event thing um, that didn't start as an event, but turned into one um, yeah, where yeah. I'm uploading these three episodes back to back one day after the other, which the more I think about the editing process for that now, the more I think like, geez, that's just going to be a whole day, isn't it? (laughs) It'll be worth it um, creatively. But uh, yeah, so um, but once once this episode is up, um, it's back to back to the normal schedule, which is to say a very loose, not at all planned out schedule, except for the fact that we try to stay on the weekends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening and thank you for being like patient with the weird way that we do things. We, you know, again, this is a hobby podcast. You know, we, we, we have no obligations to anyone concerning this podcast. So we have no incentive to be better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, recommendations for me. I also have two. I mentioned one towards the beginning of the episode. Um, only yesterday is my first recommendation. I enjoyed it. It is a Studio Ghibli film directed by Isao Takahata. Um, it's about um, a woman named Taiko, uh, who in the English dub, I think this is one of those ones that took a long time to actually get an official English dub because uh, it came out like 1991, but like. Daisy Ridley and Dev Patel are the voices of the two main characters. Oh, okay. In the oh. dub, and like yeah. you know, yeah. they're you know, they're adult people. Yeah, yeah. So, and when this movie came out in Japan, they would have been children, if not, yeah. if not like not yet born yet, yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I have no idea how old either of them are. I know they're just like roughly around our age ish, maybe a little older. Yeah. But um but yeah, uh it's pretty good. I like it. It now as with most Ghibli movies, this one does not have a plot to speak of. It is a hundred percent tone. Okay. Um it's it's about a woman named Taiko who uh is going out to the countryside to spend a few weeks with um, some relatives. I believe they're her sister's in-laws are who she's staying with. Um, 
like her sister's mother-in-law, I believe, is who she's going to stay with. Anyway, um, so, uh, and there's this guy out there named Toshio, um, and, you know, when you know, she, she, she meets him, he's very passionate about farming, and, like, her vacation that she's going to do is to help them farm, like, help them collect, uh, like, safflower petals so they can make rouge dye out of it. Okay. Um, like, so she's going out to, like, work for a vacation, but she just wants to get out of the city. She just wants to get out of Tokyo and away from the office. Um, and the whole the whole way out there and the whole time she's out there, she keeps um, remembering and telling stories about when she was in fifth grade specifically. And the way, like, her narration describes is that, like, she brought her fifth grade self with her. Um, and so, like, it's it's a very interesting movie about, like, the contrast between, like, the childhood version of herself and the you know, adult version of herself. Um, and, like, basically, like, her kind of f- working through that particular year of her life, like, therapeutically, almost. Yeah. Like, being out here is, is, is like, therapy for her, and it's helping her work through some things that, I guess, she was holding on to well into adulthood. Um, and, uh, you know, through her conversations with this dude that she meets out there, um, she's able to, like, I guess, work through it. But, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting movie. Um, and it's hard for me to, like, describe, like, beyond that, which I guess is a good thing, so that, you know, you can just kind of experience it for yourself since this is yeah. a recommendation but uh yeah it's just it's just a woman going out to the country to work um and uh reminiscing on one particular year of her childhood um and the whole time <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah and it's very it's yeah and it has an interesting conclusion um, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, but yeah, I liked it. Um, and then my second recommendation, this one's a comic book. Um, I am recommending Astro City. Because uh, I finally started reading it. I saw a big, like, omnibus. Well, not omnibus. It's, it's just a big, it's not like omnibus size, like, because when I think of an omnibus, I think of like fifty to sixty issues of a series, in yeah, one, yeah, in one volume. This is this is like the first like nineteen issues, okay, of of Astro City, um, and uh, it's I haven't finished it, but it is really good. Because what Astro City is, it's basically a superhero anthology series set in the same set in the same city every time. So like. It is a consistent world. Yeah. But um, it is like a slice of life, like superhero anthology, uh, where every issue focuses on like a different part of the city from a different person's perspective. Like the very first issue is from the perspective of the Samaritan, who is like this world's Superman um, character. Uh, and that by itself... I think is one of the best single issues of a comic I've ever read. Dang. Yeah, because it's just, like you. 
I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to give, give it away. Actually. I was about to give like a brief synopsis, but like, no, I don't, I don't want to give it away. Um, yeah. It's, it's just a really good, really solid first issue. And the whole series like maintains roughly that level of quality. I don't, I don't think any of them have been as good as that first issue so far yet that, I, that I've seen, but like, it's that doesn't mean anything after the first issue is bad though it stays really yeah. good yeah. like it's it's a great series and it's so interesting to see like a superhero world um from so many different perspectives yeah uh, all you know written by the same guy it's it's kurt busick uh writing um uh but yeah like all all written by the same guy, like all from this like very grounded perspective of what like a superhero world could be. Cause three of the four issues I've read so far um, are narrated from the perspective of regular citizens. So, so far the only issue that is told from the perspective of one of the heroes is the first one that I've read. So, cause like the, the second issue was an older reporter telling a younger reporter about um, a story that he uh, that he wrote like years ago, back when um, you know superheroes were still kind of like a rising up thing. Um, yeah, and like the third issue is about like a woman who lives in an area of town where all the weird magic and horror stuff happens, um, but like she she grew up there, so she knows how to deal with it. Um, what scares her is all the regular superhero stuff that happens downtown. You know what I mean? Like and, not pertaining to the superheroes. Yeah, yeah. Like she, like she lives in the part of town where all the horror stuff happens. Oh, okay. So yeah, like yeah. she keeps talismans. She knows like different like uh, religious rites. Uh, you know, like all these different things like she knows how to keep ghosts and monsters and wizards away um, yeah. what what scares her is like genetically engineered uh meatball men oh, or, uh, <laughs> or like like all these crazy superhero things where it's like there's no magic that can hold that back yeah yeah like so it's 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 interesting um and then like the fourth one is uh some random street thug uh or maybe that's the, or maybe the the magic one was the the third or the fourth one. And I think the third one was some street thug uh, witnesses a superhero removing his mask. Okay. Like as the hero is changing out of his costume to go back to his civilian identity, this guy sees it happen and he's like, "Oh, I know his face now." And like the entire sequence of events as it like spirals out from that is so interesting to me. But yeah, it's it's um, it's really good, and every issue can so far can be read as its own entirely self-contained story. The only connection they have to each other is that they all take place within the same consistent world. Okay. So, like, they will make references to things that exist within this world pretty regularly, but um, if it's not the focus of the issue it won't be expanded upon. 
you can expect maybe it'll show up again later and by then you're already at least somewhat familiar with it yeah but yeah. at the same time it's like when it does show up again later like that's its issue to be focused on oh okay. like it's it's one of those things where uh this series isn't interested in as far as i can tell i don't know if it's going to change as it goes but so far astro city is uninterested in a large-scale sweeping superhero epic and it's far more interested in telling grounded human stories set in a superhero world okay like what kind of actual effect uh do these superheroes have on the normal everyday lives of of the average human citizen yeah and i i really like that so yeah Astro City is my second recommendation. Nice. And I think that's it for recommendations for me as well. So um, I think that's actually it for the week then, isn't it? I believe so. Dang. How did we get here so quick? We got here real quick today. Yeah. Um, Alrighty then. Well then, since that's Storebrand Comics for the week, I have been T.O. And I've been Brandon. And now we are not, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care.